Super sneaky. Did you see her do that? I didn't. I would need to lose weight. Um, but no, yeah, so I, I knew that I had this topic, and I was really excited about it. And then I knew my grandma was going on a cruise this week, so I was like, you know, what week to miss? I'll miss this week so my grandma won't be here. But my parents are here, so it didn't really work out anyways. So, But what we're going to talk about, you know, we're in this series, Dave talked last week about drifting away from God, and we're... We're in this series of like five ways to wreck your life. Now, we all know there's thousands and thousands and thousands of ways uh, to wreck your life. But one of the ways that we're going to talk about uh, this evening, it, it's sex. I know, I know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it from stage, but I did. We're going to be talking about sex. Because the reality is this, you know, where the church doesn't speak, where the church doesn't engage in, in culture and in life, the world will tend to fill in. And if we allow the world to fill in with their view of sex, it will become crazy distorted and twisted. And me, as a shepherd and as a pastor, we can't allow the church not to have an informed view of sex. And I know it's weird. We're talking about it. And it's from stage, I'm going to say a lot of things that's going to make you and me uncomfortable this morning. But we're going to do it. Because sex is changing. I know... Barely for me, probably more so for, you know, my parents' generation, and if you're a little older, you know, sex, it was, it was weird. You know, even the way that we viewed it as a culture, it's, it's that back room where those movies are hidden away. It's behind the counter at the 7-Eleven, but now with the digital revolution, it's everywhere. It's easily acceptable, accessible, not acceptable, it's easy accessible in every format and form. It's on our TV shows, it's in commercials, it's in all these things. Our culture is saturated with sex. And if it doesn't show sex or, or, or pornography or some form of that, then it's really not worth watching. At least that's what culture says. How many times have you seen a movie and it was maybe an action movie or a war movie or something like that. And there's that random nudity or that random scene. And you're like, was that necessary? Was that, was that purposed? But what happens is our culture speaks and it thinks that that's what we want. And they place it in everything. It might be 10 seconds in a movie that's completely about World War II. And it ruins a film to a degree, but we as a culture have said, no, this is what we want. This is what we need, and we continue to do that, and it doesn't get any easier. Our kids are growing up, if you don't know this, I was a youth pastor before I came here, and our kids are growing up in this digital revolution where, where sex is everywhere. Kids are, are, are sending things and doing things before they even have the awkward handhold. Before they had that awkward, weird, first braces, acne kiss. And the problem is exactly this. What's the big deal? So many times I've heard 
in our culture, with my friends, even in the church, what's, what's the big deal? It's just sex. <laughs> and therein lies the problem with that simple phrase. What's the big deal? It's just pornography. I'm not hurting anyone. Everyone looks at a beautiful person. Everyone looks at that beautiful woman when she runs by. Everyone looks at that guy. Everyone does this. What's the big deal? Everyone's doing it. Even that phraseology, even that concept lies the root of the problem. You see, sex robs young women of their identity and self-esteem. It's just sex turns men into addicts. It's just sex destroys marriages. It's just sex is destroying everything. We give up and we give in so easily. Everyone else is struggling. What's the big deal? Relax. Even as I was processing and studying and, and, and going through this sermon, I struggled with the idea of, man, Grant, you're going to come across crazy legalistic. We get it. Sex is a no-no. Don't do it. That's bad. And what I want to tell you and where I want to speak in, where Scripture speaks in, is that's not true. Sex isn't bad. But because of sin, we've twisted it and corrupted it and turned it into a trades of goods and services, which is destroying lives in this church and in this city and in this country every single day. God created sex, and it's beautiful and it's good, but when we manipulate it and twist it, we destroy it. Think of it this way. God created bread, and it's good. But then comes the bread mold, and it corrupts it, it warps it, it twists it. It's the same with sex. God created sex, but because we live in a fallen world, and outside of marriage, sex is like that bread mold, and it corrupts the thing that's very good. A simple parable that I'd like to share with you, um, kind of about the, the problem in and of itself, it, it, is this parable I, I heard um, from a, a well-known pastor. There, there's three men. I'll use men. It could be women. It could be anything. And there's a pit. And in the pit, there's death, destruction. It's lust, pornography, addiction, whatever you want. There's this pit. But if you fall in, you're going to die. And there's these three men, women, they have this cord wrapped around their waist. A hundred pound test cord. And it's attached to the bottom of the pit. And the first man has the cord wrapped around his waist and he's standing there and it starts to get tight. Five pounds. Ten pounds. He takes a step forward kind of wondering. Twenty pounds. He's getting a little uncomfortable. He starts to lean back 30 pounds. He, he kind of gets a different stance and he says, man, this is really hard. And he just jumps in. Second man comes. Same 100-pound test line. Wraps around his waist. 5 pounds, 10 pounds, 30 pounds. Digs his heels in. 40 pounds, 50 pounds. He's starting to get really uncomfortable leaning back. 60 pounds. Somebody help me. It's too much. He jumps in. Third man, five pounds, 10 pounds, 30 pounds, digs his heels in, 40 pounds, leans back, 50 pounds, 60 pounds, somebody help me, somebody help me, 70 pounds, 80 pounds, 80 pounds, the rope starts to cut into his flesh, he's bleeding, he's leaning back, screaming, somebody help me, he sees a branch on the distance, 90 pounds, he's holding on to the branch, screaming for help, 
In the distance, he sees his wife praying for him, thinking about him, hoping that as he left for that business trip that he's going to make the right decisions. He sees his kids in the foreground, and he says, man, in his mind's eyes, am I the father that I'm always supposed to be? 95 pounds, he cannot handle it. He looks up, he sees Jesus standing there with his fist clenched, cheering him on. Hundreds of pounds, boom, the rope snaps. My question for you is, who felt the full weight of sin of the three men? So many times we give up and we jump into, I, I would clearly said jump. I didn't say fall. So many times when temptation comes, when sin arises, we jump into the pit. And there's a lot of people here, not with scars on their side, but with broken ankles. What does it look like for us to be a congregation? What does it look like for us to be a people who are soldiers? Not who are young men and young women who decide to jump because it gets a little too hard. So what's the problem? I think scripture clearly defines it. We can break it down into three different areas that are kind of all intertwined. And those areas that I see are, are lust, pornography, and sex. And I think scripture has a lot to do about this. There's a lot uh, of scripture we're going to run through very quickly and it'll be on the screen. The first one that I want to look with is a, a kind of an encouragement, but also a, hey, this is serious. It's Job 31.1. It says, I, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. 1 Peter 4.3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do. Living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Proverbs 6.25, do not desire her beauty in her, your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Matthew 5.28, this is kind of the one where, where Jesus kicks us in the teeth. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covenous, which is idolatry. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You see, I think this stemming and root of all of these things comes in the reality of not knowing God. When we don't know God, it is the root cause of lust. We'll talk a little bit later about it when we get to Romans, but pornography. The two words here are Sheol, Proverbs 27.20, Sheol and Abnon, death and destruction, are never satisfied. And never satisfied are the eyes of men. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every person, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem because it's a problem we don't even recognize. 
Every one of us knows, at least intuitively, that, you know, hey, sex out of, outside of marriage, it's not a good thing. We shouldn't do it. It's not a big deal. But like, hey, I get it. It's a no-no. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't do these things. And sex is one of those things that you just put on the list. It's my mom told me not to do that. Somewhere in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, it says don't do that. Grant's on stage as a pastor saying don't do that. Don't, 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 don't do this. The problem is I still don't believe that we fully understand the depth of injury that comes, both physically and spiritually. When we take what God has designed and have sex outside of marriage. Now, singles, I want to address you all, single, any single people in here. Why wait? Why wait to have sex? Like, you're telling me it's this good thing that God created. I get that. I know that you're also telling me it's wrong. But why should I wait? How do I know if I really even loved a person before? How do you know if we're compatible? How do you know if it works? All these excuses that you've heard or made up in your mind, or it's, hey, it's college. (laughs) Hey, everyone else is doing it. If I don't, then he won't love me. If I don't, then everyone thinks I'm not a man. All these stipulations that society has put on us, but we see, we save sex for marriage precisely because it's natural and normal. It's not abnormal for you not to have sex. And it's beautiful. And we need to keep it that way. So it doesn't become common and sordid and manipulative, diseased and cheap. So it won't become, so it can become precious and personal and clean, and sacred. We save sex for marriage because you don't put fences around your weeds. You put fences around your gardens. We don't put our dirty socks and underwear in the safe at the hotel. We put our diamonds and our jewelry in our passports, our things that are precious to us. Why do we protect this? Why do we protect? Because saving sex until marriage doesn't make it unnatural. It makes it priceless. Another reason we have sex, we save sex until marriage, it's a picture of the covenant between Christ and his church. And sex in that picture is the most exquisite pointer in the age to come, to heaven. Sex outside of marriage is a lie about Jesus. It's a lie about where ultimate joy is to be found. Singles, there's hope. What does it look like for you to make a covenant with your eyes, men, women? What does it look like to say that I treasure Jesus and the pleasures to come through and in him rather than a cheap thrill that everyone, I don't care who you are, regrets the next morning? What does it look like and why do we save? so that we can see and show the world that sex isn't cheap and abnormal, but rather it's designed and authored through and by God. And the church needs to take a stand when it comes to sex and we need to take it back from our culture. 
And we need to help our, our children and our singles and, and those who are adults and those who are divorced and those who are, are separated. We need to encourage each other in Christ to say, yes, sex is good because God is good. Let's not cheapen or destroy that. But the problem is the problem that we see in Romans 1, 18 through 24. You see, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what we may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they never glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires, the sinfulness of their heart, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. When we trade the knowledge that we have for God, who is the ultimate creator, and we trade it for created things, computer screens, pixels, movies, other human beings. We see the depravity that falls from this. You see that every time that we don't know and see God, it stirs in us a root cause of lust and addiction and a, a twisted form of sexuality. 1 John 3.9 says, no one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. We as believers who are addicted and hiding in the darkness when it comes to this issue of sex, because the reality is this, a lot of us in the church don't want to talk about this because a lot of us in the church are struggling with this. We're hiding in the darkness when it comes to our sexuality. When it comes to the issue of sex and pornography and lust and addiction and all these different things. We hide in the darkness as believers in Christ and we hope that it will go away. But what it ends up to doing is destroying. How many pastors have you seen, prominent pastors who in this country have been destroyed because of a relationship with a secretary or an addiction. Where sin hides, it flourishes. And one of our goals and one of our things and one of our beliefs at Compassion Christian is that we want sin to come out into the light where Christ can destroy it. And we are believers in Christ. We know that we cannot go on sinning. Because we have been born of God. He who is in us is greater than anything in this world. Knowing that we are in and through Jesus, we can do this. I want you to understand, only a forgiven sin is a defeatable sin. 
But if we don't talk about and ask God for forgiveness, if we don't repent, it can't be forgiven. Only a forgiven sin is is defeatable. What I mean by that is this. Jesus Christ died on the cross and he covered all sins on the cross, but a lot of us don't recognize that and understand that. And we live and we sit in darkness, ashamed and afraid and addicted. And we continue to live the life as as if we weren't even believers in Christ. We look like the world in every way when it comes to this issue and we don't speak up. But what does it look like for Compassion Christian downtown? What does it look like us for us to stand and to take back what God has made and not to be embarrassed or weird about this? Hebrews 13.44, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You see, worship needs to be our identity before it ever becomes our activity. And sex is an act of worship. Married people, you should be having lots of sex. I know it's weird for your pastor to say that, but it's actually a temperature gauge of your spiritual life and your bond connected between your wife and your husband. If you want to know if your marriage is struggling, that's the very first place to look. If I don't say this, who is? What does it look like for us as believers in Christ to take back what God has given us? Because if we don't, then we look to fulfill our needs and our desires elsewhere when God has created us as worshipful beings and to worship with our spouse. And if our identity is in Christ as worshipers, because we're all worshiping something, and if you're worshiping just sex, then you're going to treat it cheap and abuse it. If you're worshiping people, they're never going to satisfy and they're always going to hurt you and let you down. If sex is your motivator, you're going to do whatever you can to destroy and go through and above and around people to hide it in the darkness so that you can get that desire. But if your desire is Jesus, you'll get everything. And if we become worshipers and our identity is in worship, then it becomes our activity. Like I said earlier, the only sin we can defeat is a forgiven sin. So if we understand through Jesus that he has covered these sins, then we won't be ashamed or afraid to step out into the light and say, I'm struggling. I have a a, a simple acrostic I want to share with you that I think will help everyone in every situation. If you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with uh, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're having an adulterous affair, one, there's a worship issue. But two, I want to give you the simple acrostic that I think will will help. It's not an end-all, be-all, because at the end of the day, if your heart's not in it, you're going to fall into temptation, you're going to jump into the pit. But if you want to be like that man that sits and gets those cuts in his sides and holds back and screams for your help, this is a simple 
acrostic that I think can help, and it's in your bulletin. It says, A, avoid. As much as possible and reasonable, the sights and situations that arouse unfitting desires. Avoid them. Don't walk around like this all the time. But you know the places you shouldn't go. You know the, the stores that might, might trigger something. You know the places that might cause in your heart a desire to well up. We're going to be exposed to sex in every different form and fashion, but avoiding it is a biblical strategy. Flee youthful passions and purchase righteousness. 2 Timothy 2.22, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans 13.14. And say no. Say no to every lustful thought within five seconds. And say it with the authority of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, no. When that idea or that, that concept pops up in your mind, say no. No, I'm not going to let it happen. And turn your, the mind forcefully, T, turn the mind forcefully towards Christ as superior. This is that worship thing. Saying no will not suffice. You must move from defense to the offense. Fight fire with fire. Attack the promises of sin with the promises of Jesus. Sin's going to promise you the world, and it's going to leave you dry. Jesus is going to promise you life, and he's going to give you living water. So turn your mind forcefully. Memorize scripture, even the simple one. Job 31, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman or a man. Boom, memorize it. Say it with me. I have made a covenant with my eyes. To not look lustfully at a man or woman. Say that five more times in your head. Turn the mind forcefully towards Christ. H, hold the promise and pleasure of Jesus firmly in your mind until it pushes the other images out. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. Focus. It could be as simple as focusing on a scene from the Passion of the Christ. Focus and keep your mind. Hold on to the promise of God until it goes. And then E, enjoy superior satisfaction. Cultivate the capacity for pleasure in Jesus. One reason lust reigns in so many is that Christ has so little appeal. We default to deceit because we have little delight in Jesus. Don't say that's just not because we have little delight in Christ. Or, that's not just me. What steps have you taken to awaken affection for Jesus? So many times we jump into the pit because we say we can't. And we give in. The last one is M. Move into a useful activity away from idleness and other vulnerable behaviors. Lust grows fast in gardens of leisure. Find a good work to do and do it with all your might. Run. Move. Leave. If you go, it's, hey, I got to go work out. Or, hey, I got to go get a book. Or, hey, I got to stop mowing the lawn. I got to go do something else. Leave. Run. Flee. What does it look like for our church to run from sexual immorality? 
What does it look like for us in our mind's eye to focus on Christ and the delights that come in him? Now the problem is, do we know what it is to delight in Jesus? Only a forgiven sin is a defeatable one. And the truth of the matter is Christ has forgiven all your sins. And if you accept and believe in Jesus Christ, you're free. What does it look like for our church to live in freedom from sexual immorality and adultery and lust and pornography? It looks like us falling more in love with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for for who you are and what you're doing and how you've truly just opened the floodgates with your love, Lord, that the world has corrupted something so beautiful and so holy. Lord, and as believers in Christ, as Compassion Christian Church, we're going to take it back. Because it's beautiful and it's good. Lord, I pray that this is a safe place, that this is a holy place in these next couple of moments. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.